what she said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Four years ago this past Thursday, the largest single-day protest in U.S. history took place with the Women's March in Washington. And Canadian women marched in solidarity across the country with our sisters to the south to protest the growing infringement around the globe on women's rights, immigration, the environment, and LGBTQ rights, to name but a few of the issues at stake. Where are we four years later? Well, this week we were lucky enough to witness the inauguration of the first female vice president in the U.S., But the clawback of our rights is still happening, and because of the pandemic, at a frighteningly alarming rate. So while we do have reason to rejoice this week, we must remain vigilant. And one way I'm doing that this week is by interviewing my first guest, Alison Venditti, from Moms at Work, about the problem with pay transparency in this country and how we solve it. If you've never heard of pay transparency before, but you're one of the 1.5 million women who have recently lost their job and you're now actively seeking employment, you'll definitely want to know about the tactic used to pay women and people of color less. Ann Brody, thankfully, continues to round up the best of the best to keep us busy at home with entertainment. And this week, she has a roundup of films from around the globe, including one from France called Lupin, available on Netflix. Plus, she shares her thoughts on Our Friends, starring Jason Segal, Dakota Johnson, and Casey Affleck. Not gonna lie, the trailer for this one had me crying big ugly tears. You'll want to stock up on tissue before watching. The hottest buzzword we're all throwing around in 2021 is resilience. But what is it, and how do we get our hands on some of that? Kamal Minnis, an internationally known resilience expert, joins me to share how you can become more resilient in 2021 in five simple steps. Where are you getting your news from? Chances are you find headlines through Google or Facebook. The problem is that 80% of advertising revenue that used to go to Canadian media is now being funneled to tech giants outside of our country. And that puts the squeeze on news organizations who paid journalists for investigative reporting. That's bad news for Canadian content and equally as bad news for democracy. I share 10 minutes of my interview with Heather Bakken from iPolitics in today's show, but it's such an important topic you can catch the extended interview on podcast at What She Said with Candace Sampson. From headlines to waistlines, how many times have you started a new fitness routine and then quickly forgot about it? Sharon DeVellis feels your pain and joins me to discuss ways to simply get more movement in your life without signing up for expensive programs and unattainable fitness goals. Finally, we're digging for goals, not gold around here at What She Said, and Justine McDonald is here to help. A mom of two, entrepreneur, and coach dedicated to helping career-driven moms maximize their work and home life through online courses, events, coaching, and the Mama's Got Goals planner. Justine is here to give us a nudge in the direction of our dreams. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Have you ever applied for a job and when you look to see what it paid, it wasn't available? That's a tactic that has become quite common and it's wrong. 
In particular, it affects women and people of color most negatively. Joining me to discuss the importance of pay transparency is Allison Venditti from Moms at Work, who joins me today to share the motivation behind companies not sharing the rate of pay for a job and how you can address it for when applying for one. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hi, nice to be here. So this is something that it's funny. I remember years ago applying for a job and seeing the rate of pay. Now, when I look at jobs, uh, I rarely see the pay. Why is that? What started this whole thing? Uh, there's been a shift as the world has become more sort of international. It, it wasn't the standard in, in other countries. So it was less standard in the United States. It's less standard. Um, and companies kind of ran with it for all sorts of excuses. So nobody really knows why. No one can give me a great answer as to like why specifically they're doing it. Um, but we can make some assumptions uh, based on like why bigger companies would do it. Sure. I mean, you know, as like, I understand it sort of from a, I'm self-employed. So, you know, um, when I'm talking to people, they'll ask me what my rate is and I'll, I'll give them a rate. Um, and, and they don't come to me and say, well, we have this much money to give you because that's how the business negotiation works, but it's different if you're going to be the, uh, employee. Um, so what happens when a company says to a woman, what do you want to be paid? Right. So oftentimes that's asked like front and center. And what we know, we know as standard is that women are across every industry and every job classification paid less than men. So that was sort of a startling statistic that they found because they assumed that female surgeons would be paid the same as male surgeons. It's not true. Same in academia and even even in traditionally unionized organizations the women are paid less. So we start from a place where we already are paid less. And so when women then answer that question, they're already pigeonholing themselves at a lower rate. So this contributes equally to the pay gap. Same thing with, with people of color. Uh, we are going to continue to be paid less when they keep asking that question. Uh, what happens is when you start to publicly uh, show what the, and we're not asking for a specific, usually we ask people to provide a range, which, you know, was helpful, uh, that then we start, then we start closing that pay gap because we have a better understanding of what a particular job is paid as opposed to what you were paid at your last job. And, and from a, you know, just from a male, female perspective, right. I, I suppose it's, you know, men probably have no problems, you know, overstating what they need to be paid. Whereas women probably understated. Is that accurate? Well, and, and it's, uh, we negotiate differently. So often facts is like when I, when I um, survey women is many of them, you know, don't ask for more money. They give themselves a smaller range. They give themselves a lower range because they don't want to feel like they're being pushy or asking for more, uh, which is, you know, it shouldn't rely on us to have to be a clever negotiator in order to be fair, like paid fairly. And this isn't about like who should be the better negotiator. It's like, if you're, you know, equal pay for equal work is important. So is there some sort of law, like are companies allowed to post jobs without pay? So this is very new in Canada. So Ontario had paid transparency legislation ready to go. So that would require that companies uh, post not, well, A, not be allowed to ask you what your previous salary was and B, post the level of pay that they're going to do. The current government rolled it back, right? So they said they were putting it back for consultation. But what the federal government has done is they have stepped up. So we have a new pay equity commissioner. 
Her name is Karen Jensen. She is a mother of four, uh, and she is going to be responsible for rolling out pay equity legislation for federally regulated employers, which include banks, telecommunications, transportation, anything that crosses provincial lines, which is just a little bit less than 10% of workplaces. Um, but the trickle down effect will be significant. So if we're requiring banks in that to become um, more equitable in their pay, that's going to trickle down to other industries as well, right? That's so that's the hope. That, that is the hope. So, you know, I'm in, I'm in one of your Facebook groups and, and I see a lot of women come in there and they share these absolutely horrible stories of things that they've been asked uh, about before job interview. So I'm hoping you could share some of the questions that employers should not be asking you. Well, so a lot of the first thing that happens is that we are a bit programmed to just spout out our expected things. So it's not currently not illegal to ask people what their current salary is. Uh, but the way in which we respond can be different, right? So I've had people respond to recruiters who pick up the phone and be like, so what's your salary expectation? They say, no, what is your salary range? Because if you're hiring for a position, you have a salary range. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with me, that would be great. Um, I have people who get emails and, you know, if they're more comfortable, they respond. They were like, I'm not going to answer that question. That's a tactic used to underpay women and people of color. Uh, and I will be very honest, people in workplaces, HR people are sometimes not aware of the things that they're doing. Um, so, so it's very educational and we've had a lot of success with women going back to their organizations and being like, Hey, why do you do this? And if they don't have a reason to be like, well, let me tell you exactly what it's doing to your workforce. Right. So that's important. We all know that women have been impacted by this pandemic, right. uh, you know, and a lot of women are going to be looking to get into the job force in the coming right. uh, months and years ahead once we get on the other side of this. However, if we don't have the proper legislation in place, you know, that's going to be very difficult for women to get what they're worth. Right. Uh, the other issue that we had is another piece of legislation that we worked very hard to put forward was um, equal pay for part-time and full-time work. Um, that also didn't come into force uh, because women are predominantly the ones working part-time. And as you probably know, I'm like part-time work is, value, is, is paid less than full-time work in many scenarios. And it's not okay. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things that, that really need to be pushed forward in order for us to like really close that wage gap. Um, and, and, and the biggest struggle for me is I'm like, it's sitting there ready to go, ready to be enforced. Um, and they're just not doing it yet. Who do you think is behind that? Any thoughts? Oh, it's our current government because it was, it was written and ready to go. Um, and they've, look, they've rolled back all sorts of things in protections for young workers, protections for healthcare workers, protections for all sorts of things. Like it, it's not good. So, um, but to say that they're like tar targeting uh, these groups is like right on point. So many things against women have been, have been rolled down. It's, it's not okay. And that is, and do you think that the pressure for them to, to, ignore this is coming from uh, the corporations? Um, you know, I don't want to paint all corporations with a big brush because you know what, for, for like some of the bigger organizations, it's, it's, it, they wouldn't think to do that. Uh, but I will say that organizations that predominantly put like lower paid, um, you know, frontline workers, like this, this is really important for their bottom line. Right. It is important like to keep to keep wages down is important for their bottom line. So hiring part time sales staff and paying them less um, is going to save them a lot of money. So it's a horrible thing to like imply, but it's true. 
Right. There, you know, we all know that the if a uh, if a corporation was an actual person, they would be a sociopath because it's all about right. you know making money, making money, and nothing else. It's never about the person, no. uh, people that they employ. So it's on us to keep them accountable um, and to keep our government accountable. Uh, so my concern, though, is that you know a lot of women don't know this. Uh, yes. They're not aware of this information and they're probably underprepared to enter into right. negotiations for jobs as they come yes. up in the coming months. So um, tell my audience, please, how you are helping women, because I think it's very important that they know how to get in touch with you. So uh, Moms at Work is uh, above all things uh, like an advocacy organization. So in the Facebook group, I have a newsletter. We provide re free resources from experts. So the one thing I saw at the beginning of the pandemic was that people were just scrounging around on Facebook for answers. Um, so we have employment lawyers, tax specialists. Um, I'm, I'm an HR expert. I do return to work. We're all available for free to help you navigate all of these changes in legislation, all of these things. Um, I have a YouTube speaker series. We had the pay equity commissioner come on to talk. I want them to hear it from the horse's mouth. I want people to know from people who are building this legislation, how it impacts you and how you can go back. And I talk a lot about pay transparency and salary negotiation um, because they're things that some women are not used to being able to do. Um, and, and I've helped women negotiate in like federal government jobs where they're like, I didn't know I could negotiate. This is like a federal job. I'm like, yes, there are so many opportunities to be making more money. Um, and my biggest takeaway for people is like, like when you would negotiate a higher salary, that's not a higher salary for one year. Negotiating $5,000 more is $5,000 more a year. And it's the starting point for your next raise. So it's important. Um, and you're worth every penny. You are the very definition of a rising tide lifts all boats, Allison. Uh, you're so great. Uh, so just quickly, yeah. uh, can you give the website for people? Yeah. So it's... Um, uh, this is moms at work.com and on Instagram at this is moms at work. And uh, the Facebook group is it's called the um, sorry, it's called moms at work. So it's moms at work group. Um, and currently we're sitting at about 6,000 members um, and we're having a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of fun advocating for change. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today, Allison. This was great. Thanks for having me. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Saturday night at the movies is the ever lovely Ann Brody. And before we jump in today, it's worth noting that on the weekend, I received a message from Ann that simply said, Lupin, you must watch Hubba Hubba. <laughs> okay, Ann. So tutorial there. <laughs> now, the French actor Omar Sy stars in this Netflix series called uh, Lupin, and he's, um, he's a master thief. He's a master of disguise. He knows everything there is to know about magic. So he's he has two jobs. One is to steal a $200 million diamond necklace from the Louvre, where he got a job as a janitor, and to 
save his father's reputation, his father was accused of stealing the necklace when he when he worked for the family that owned it and uh, went to jail. He, he hadn't done it and he was and he hung himself. So he's got two big jobs on his hand. And I've got to say, this guy is incredible. You see him drive up to the Louvre posing as the buyer of the diamonds and he comes this big vehicle opens up he comes out and he's wow he's in a tuxedo he's so smooth and cool i could see this guy being james bond wow to tell you the truth. yeah wow. yeah so it, it's really fun it's a good time and you'll be just amazed by the character's um ability to do things to change his appearance to change everything to get what he needs now this is based on a 1902 book called Arsène Lupin Gentleman Thief so it's really fun I'd highly recommend it and it's an eyeful okay excellent well we, we love that we love our eye candy of course but this is also an international film and you have other international films this week uh in your what she said talk roundup so what else do we have okay we've got this Oh my God, it's so mysterious. The grave on topic. Wow. Uh, it concerns three bodies that were revealed following an earthquake in Northern Israel and nature reserve. Uh, these skeletons, they reckon had been dead about five years or so. And the forest ranger who, who runs the park, he's arrested. But the thing is, the interesting thing is Forensics investigations reveals that the skeleton's DNA belonged to people who were actually living. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Um, I got uh, through as many episodes as I could given my time constraints, and I still don't know how they're going to sort it out, but it is so intriguing. Uh, inside one of the skeleton's chest cavities is found his wedding ring. I mean... <laughs> And there's a mentalist who is also matching DNA for one of the skeletons who has visions of himself throwing bodies over the bridge into this pit where they've been found. Honestly, it's just mind bending. It's just mind bending. So I'm going to have to find time to finish it. It's just incredible. The well, I'm going to have to find time to start it because this th that sounds fascinating. So that's from that's an Israeli film, is it? Is it? Yes, it is. And also from Israel, we have Losing Alice. And we have an interview uh, on the website with the star and the director, uh, three stars and the director. And it's it's a really ooh, tingly kind of a series. It's about a very famous filmmaker, a woman, and her famous actor husband. Um, and their lives are intruded upon by this ambitious young screenwriter who not only sets wheels in motions on an emotional level, on a dominance level, on a sexual level, but on a professional level. It's uh, quite amazing. It's really good. I can't believe these two terrific things. Since when have we had that many films from Israel? We had Valley of Tears a couple of weeks ago and now two in one week. So, and that's on Apple TV. So take a look at that. Okay, so you have a whole list, obviously, on the website, and there's that people can go to and check out for sort of this around the world roundup this week. But there is one uh, movie that I do want to talk about just briefly, if we can, in the last minute we have left, and it's our friend because I watched the trailer oh. and I was sobbing. I know, 
I know, I know. It's just so good. Dakota Johnson is has cancer. Her husband, played by Casey Affleck, is overwhelmed because they have kids. His best friend, Jason Segal, moves in with them to lighten the load and the joy that he brings and the comfort. And it's about selfless love. And it's it's a lesson. It's a heartbreaker. And everyone is so good in it. Yeah, and, and Jason Segal, I, I thought he was like just the brief time I saw him in the trailer. I mean, I can't wait to watch this. Um, I really found it was a bit of a stretch from his t- normal roles. Like no kidding, really right? Deep on this. Yeah. yeah, not ironic, not satirical, not funny. Well, no, amusing, but not funny. And Casey Affleck does a great, great job. But Dakota, it kind of removes the whole stench of those terrible movies that she did. Those Fifty Shades movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she's very endearing in this. And, oh, she handles it well. It's wonderful. Our friend. Excellent. All right. You also have an interview with them uh, on YouTube and on the website. So I hope people go check it out. And as always, thanks so much for keeping us entertained in this unending lockdown. My pleasure. Thank you, Candace. She'll expose you when she snows you. We all walked into 2021 hoping for a change of pace, but as it turns out, it's carrying a bit of a 2020 hangover and not much has changed. That's why it's important for us to develop our resiliency and to look at a new, fresh perspective. Canadian resilience educator and advocate Kamal Minnis is a internationally respected resilience expert, host, interviewer, investor, and champion of women and women's rights. Featured on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list, Kamal has interviewed inspiring people, including Michelle Obama and Sophie Grégoire Trudeau, and is the founder and host of the successful podcast, Lessons Learned. She joins me today to share how you can become more resilient in 2021 with five simple steps. Welcome to the show, Kamal. Thank you for having me. So let's run through those five steps because we are all in desperate need of them. So what's the first thing we should be doing? Absolutely. So first, let's think about reconnecting to our community. So when it comes to building our resiliency and building our subjective well-being, research shows us across the board that connection to community is one of the main pillars of what makes us more resilient. So it's really important right now to ask yourself, how can I reconnect to the people around me? How can I make sure that I am making time to consistently reach out to the people I love and who care about me? And in some cases, how am I making new friends, even though we are fully digital right now. It's a great time to be courageous, to slide into folks' DMs and to figure out how you can be building new friendships with people who are aligned with your values and expand your network in the ways that you can right now. I just, you know, I love, you know, the digital aspect is huge. We're all using it, of course, but I think um, we should also maybe pay attention to some of the old school ways, you know, having a pen pal, picking up a phone. Uh, Those are great ways to develop connection as well, right? Absolutely. And when it comes to those sorts of more low tech ways of connecting, it might not feel as easy, um, but it is something that you'll feel even more fulfilled by doing when we see those letters written out by hand or little keepsakes that you might be sending to friends and family via the snail mail. um, You'll definitely feel uh, more rewarded in that type of connecting. 
All right. So what's the next one that we should be doing then? So another way for us to build our self uh, resilience and something that we call self-efficacy, which is our belief in ourselves that we can do and overcome hard things is through self-reflection. So we are still in a phase where it's early in 2021. We can still look back on 2020 or these last 12 months, whenever you're listening to this, and think back on everything that you have survived, everything that you've overcome, everything that makes you who you are at this moment. It's also a good time to ask yourself, what are some of the things you regret not having done in the last 12 months? What are some things that you would feel even more fulfilled by accomplishing in the months and years ahead? And it's through the self-reflection that we can make sense of our lives, make coherence of our lives, and also where we can get inspired for action moving forward. And when we see what we've overcome, when we see a list of the things that we've survived, of the things that make us who we are, that make us um, as strong as we are today, we can actually borrow some of that confidence and apply it to parts of our lives where we might not be feeling as confident. We can say, look at what I overcame, look at everything I survived last year, then X thing in front of me is totally doable and manageable that I can rise through. So self-reflection is a really powerful and important tool when it comes to building our resilience. Yeah, I love that. All right. And then you talk about therapy, which I think is, you know, I'm, I'm a psychology student, I went back to school to get my degree uh, at Queens in psychology. So I'm a big proponent of this. So uh, people should definitely be seeking that, right? Absolutely. For me, I have been uh, consistently seeing my therapist every Friday for the last few months. And not only with that, but also um, seeing a coach for when it comes to my business side of things in my life, because what we can come to realize is that we need different supports when it comes to the various areas of our lives. But for a lot of folks, even that first step of reaching out to a therapist or finding a counselor can feel so daunting and overwhelming. But let me tell you, having someone who knows nothing about your life is not connected to a single person in your world who you can go to on a weekly basis to just make sense of your life and talk through things, vent, throw shade if you need to, whatever it looks like, is so, so, so helpful for our mental health and well-being. And again, can just help us get some of that overwhelm out of our minds and into the supportive care of someone who's there with us to make sure our mental health is doing well. So therapy and counseling are two things that are so critical right now, more than ever, um, to put in our little toolkit of self-care, um, self-love and self-support. Okay. So we only have about a minute left. So let's get to those last two points quickly and then let people know where they can get in touch with you to learn more. Absolutely. So it's really important to remember that dreaming and planning is a really important way to create hope for ourselves and to give us a guiding light in times of difficulty. So remember to dream big and make sure that you turn those dreams into actionable plans. Um, and you can find me at Komal Minhas, K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S on all social media platforms or at komal.com to learn more about my resilience building programs. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. I really love all of your tips, uh, especially about dreaming for the future because we are going to come out of this soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And my last reminder is to be gentle with yourselves and take really good care of yourself. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
world divided on just about everything from wearing masks to left or right politics and to conspiracy theories. How then do we deal with disinformation, particularly when each side believes their side is the right one? Equally as pressing, how do we ensure that Canadian news content has a fair shake when global companies are driving the views and news online? Heather Bacon is the deputy publisher at iPolitics.ca and joins me today to discuss why it's so important to protect Canadian news media and some ways to tackle the disinformation war. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you very much, Candace. I just want to clarify my last name is Bakken, not uh, Bacon, but that's okay because my handle is Bakken Bits and it's a play on Bacon Bits, but it's more uh, Bakken the oil rather than uh, Bacon the food. <laughs> I will. I will never forget that now. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk then about, so why do you think, you know, you wrote an article, an opinion piece in the Toronto Star. Um, so let's start with why you think Canadian news media is in jeopardy. Uh, it's, you know, journalism is, you hear this often that journal, journalism is a cornerstone of democracy. And right now, I think we're in a battle of freedoms. And the irony is that people don't understand the potential threat to their freedom and liberty that the lack of competitive news media and journalism uh, provides in that ecosystem of information, uh, fact-based evidence. So that is a foundation. And then I think we have to do, you know, bifurcate uh, Canadian content versus news. So there are two different issues, right? We have content, but the, which is the news, sorry. And, and then we have culture. So Canadian culture, and how do we address the cultural side? And that's where it gets a little bit tricky because there's a gray zone in between. And I think on a policy level, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, where do, where do newspapers fit? Where does digital online news media fit? And where does broadcasting fit? And, uh, you know, CRTC uh, is in a direction where they want to separate those two. So if we're gonna separate them, let's talk about the news, let's talk about journalism and that impact on culture, which is different than Canadian content. When I go online, I'm constantly being pushed to US media or, or media that's coming out of the US because of the platforms I'm on. So the browsers I'm on, either Google or Facebook. So how do we deal with that? Like, how do we get um, those websites where most people are, those browsers to be pushing us the Canadian content? Can we do that? This is what we're hoping. Uh, and this would be a policy push and, and trying to create uh, you know, robust legislation, like create a, create a playing ground where it's level. I don't think anybody's asking for an unfair advantage, but right now a lot of Canadian providers have an unfair disadvantage. And the disadvantage is created by several different factors. I would say just from the get-go, when you talk about Canada, US, you know, relations and culture and how we are very much um, exposed to American culture, that's a global phenomenon, right? So we all still are able to call, carve out our niche. But I think on that playing field, we have to say, okay, if I'm going to go on and look for news about something in my country, my Canadian content providers should be at the top of the list. And that's surfaceability. I think it's important to note it's not just advertising dollars. There's some pretty sinister players here uh, behind the scenes who are trying to undercut our, our very democracy with the money they're putting behind, you know, things that are landing right in front of us. And so, and we've seen that, I think, play out in real time right now in the U.S., but Canada is probably not far behind in that. 
Well, I mean, that's where you look at the giants, the big tech giants. And I mean, it's safe to say a lot of people are using Google as a search engine. It's an excellent search engine. It is an amazing platform. Um, but when it comes to, again, the foundation of our democracy and getting evidence, fact-based journalism, uh, it's not the place that I can rely on to provide that for me as a Canadian. For the other issue talking about, let's take Facebook as an example. Uh, in the last election, it's known that foreign players played a part in that, not just to bring out the vote on their side, but to suppress the vote on the opposing side. And Facebook was responsible for that. The Canadian government summons them to speak before parliament during the Cambridge Analytica uh, crisis. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with Christopher Wiley, who was a whistleblower. They don't even show up. Mm -hmm. So how can it be that a tech giant has more money and power than most nations and they usurp the authority of a G7 country by not even answering to our parliament but sending you know a representative uh, to me that, that the arrogance associated with that tells me that they are they believe they're invincible that's my personal opinion on that but I find that a slap in the face. The biggest trading partner, the largest undefended border in the world, a G7 country, we summons you to speak before parliament. If you have nothing to hide, why would you not come? Right? This is a great conversation. I hope we can do this again another time because it's obviously a huge, there's so much to it, right? Uh, yeah. So many players. But um, I thank you for joining me today and discussing this. But if people want to know more about you, if they want to read more about iPolitics, uh, where can they go? They can go to ipolitics.ca. So, uh, you know, we are a subscription-based news platforms, but we do have a COVID-19 portal that anything related to the pandemic is in there. And we've opened the paywall as a public service to Canadians during this national crisis. So if you want to have policy, learn about policy news, there's reporting with our, and there's expert opinion. So we don't just take people's opinion. We have people who actually have expertise in an area. We have visualizations you can follow. And I would say Candace, uh, part two, when you talk about women um, and social media platforms, remember all those algorithms are designed mostly by men and they're men who are 20 to 35 and they are telling us what we should be consuming and i say take back your ownership on that so maybe that's part two um but i want to thank you so much for inviting me on here and having the chance to actually have a conversation with you um we need conversations right like yeah that and that's actually what's crucial is that we do need the conversations because again we're not as far off from each other as some people would have us believe yeah especially if we're canadian all right. Thank you, Heather. Uh, we'll have you back again. Okay, Candace. Pleasure to meet you. And thanks so much. Keep up the good work. You've been listening to the edited version of an extended interview I did with Heather Bakken, deputy publisher of iPolitics.ca, about the state of news media in Canada. Far too big a topic for 10 minutes. You can catch the extended interview by subscribing to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple or Spotify. We'll be right back with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
When it comes to fitness, many of us are on a stop and go journey. We dive in with enthusiasm, but then quickly revert back to old patterns. I can speak pretty authoritatively about this because of my vast experience of starting and stopping new fitness kicks. How then do we break old patterns? Sharon Develis is a 50-ish mother of two who believes that incorporating movement into your day every day will dramatically improve your life and that it's not as hard as you think it is. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Hi, Candace. So my first question for you is why are you not doing this standing up? I, you know what? That's an excellent <laughs> point. I should be, I should be standing up and what an easy thing that would be to incorporate into my, my day. Um, and so that right there that you've asked that question is how easy it is to incorporate movement into our day, right? Just maybe just reevaluating. Um, it's easier than I think most people think it is. Um, we get wrapped around in our heads that, you know, when we're going to work out or exercise, you know, we need to dedicate 30 minutes or an hour. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are days when you don't have that time available. So there's just different ways to do it. You can set a timer on your computer for every hour, just to get up and go for a quick walk around the house or do a plank or, you know, jog on the spot. It's not a difficult thing to do and it's only a couple of minutes but when you do a couple of minutes every hour it adds up throughout the day and I think if we can start incorporating more movement throughout the day as a society and a community we're just going to be healthier overall. Yeah, I think we tend to complicate matters too by thinking, you know, we have to do these expensive workouts and we have to have that fancy bike. Uh, You know, it really is just about moving your body. It could be as simple as turning the music up really loud and having a dance party in the kitchen once a day. Oh, 100%. Make it fun, right? Like, who's going to want to move when you're like, oh, I have to go for a run, but you don't like running. However, if you love dancing, um, a A mutual friend of ours, Lisa, has started learning how to shuffle on TikTok. And she's like, oh, my gosh, like my lower body is so sore from trying to do this every day. And she loves it. And she's having fun. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's the purpose of it, right? Is really just to make it fun so that you don't quit. Because if you're doing something you hate, the odds are you're going to quit. Oh, 100%. And I'll tell you, probably the best level of fitness I was in my life and this is I used to speed skate I did triathlons but it was dog walking and I didn't have time to go to the gym on a regular basis but I was walking 20 to 25,000 steps a day every single day and it was good for my my health my overall health but also my mental well-being it was just fantastic being outside for that many hours a day I, I want to go back a little bit, though, to you mentioned speed skating. And I think this is interesting because I want I want women to focus in on this point. You learned to speed skate at what age? 44. And right. I had skated twice as an adult. I My first speed skating session where I went out on the ice, I was literally shuffling along, holding onto the sideboards. Couldn't skate, couldn't do crossover, couldn't do any of it. And now I coach. <laughs> And I think that's, that's the key, right? You know, I didn't learn to ski until 44. Uh, You know, there's a lot of sports out there that I think we get caught up in the, oh, I can't possibly do that. Or, you know, I'll never be any good at it. Um, It's nice when you can let go of all of those hangups and just try something new. You, You might be surprised at how great you are at it. 
Well, and it's just, you know, we only have one life to live. Why, why wouldn't we try it? And the second thing I learned is that people, and especially in our age demographic, are so welcoming and wanting you to succeed. Like everybody in that speed skating club helped me in some way, shape or form, whether it was like giving me tips. One person spent an entire class letting me lean on him so I could try to do crossovers. So I think like if we can kind of, it's the perfectionism, right? We, we don't wanna appear like we don't know what we're doing, but if you can let go of that, you're gonna have some amazing experiences. And, and that's, that brings me to the next point, you know, is that we look, we seek that perfectionism and it's really just about the movement of it all. And so you uh, recently went back to become a certified fitness coach. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a, a journey. It took a little while just because there's bumps in the road in my personal life, but yeah, I'm certified as a coach now, a personal trainer. Um, and I am going to be launching um, a fitness business, which I'm super excited about because I want to make it accessible to everybody, no matter what income level. And uh, I think this year, more than any, has shown us that there is a very large gap between people who have large incomes and people who do not. And I would like to try to close that gap. And fitness really shouldn't be something that requires wealth uh, to participate in, uh, it should almost be, uh, you know, almost a right. And, and some, some many of the things we can do are, are free, right? They're right out our front door and we don't need to spend, uh, you know, a monthly fee to get through a door to, to participate in fitness. I agree 100%. It should be accessible and it should be a right. And we should be able to have access to people who have the knowledge base and who can help us if we're making mistakes and, kind of guide us in the area we need to learn. So for now, people can't get in touch with you, uh, you know, uh, on a website, but uh, you are very active on Twitter and I want people to know where to find you there. So uh, if you could share your Twitter handle and people can connect with you there. Um, I believe it's Sharon DV. Oh my gosh. It's like, I never know my own name, but I think it's Sharon DV on Twitter. It is because I follow you there. Thanks for joining me, Sharon. This was great. I hope everybody listening goes out and just moves today. It was great. Thanks so much for having me, Candace. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm right To quote Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. If you're in the chaotic part of your life with kids underfoot, you likely feel that pretty deeply. Enter my next guest, a mom of two, entrepreneur and coach dedicated to helping career-driven moms maximize their work and home life through online courses, events, coaching, and the Mama's Got Goals planner. Justine McDonald doesn't want any mom to look back on their life with regrets and wants you to know that it's possible to raise your family and chase your goals down at the same time. Welcome to the show, Justine. Thank you so much for having me. So I really love that you have a um, 
a goal planner. What inspired you to create that? So when I was a new mom and a new entrepreneur, I felt super overwhelmed with all the information out there, the free webinars and the downloads and the courses. And I just wanted a simple system. Like my brain was already busy enough um, learning how to be a mom and all the facets of entrepreneurship. I just needed somebody to say, if you do A plus B, you get C. So I created this planner so that moms would have a toolkit or resource um, profile, a workbook, and it would allow them to not only accomplish their goals, but to build confidence. Uh, and it would be a physical representation in their household, like something they could actually see when life gets really crazy. You're like, oh, shoot, I forgot to do that. You have this on your nightstand or on your kitchen table. And it reminds you that, you know, putting your goals in front of your day is really important for a successful life and a story that you're proud of. Yeah, I love that you said that, by the way, that you you spell it out. I remember very well the early days of being a mother, especially with two young ones running around. It was overwhelming. And your brain is just maybe not functioning at the level it should be. So it's nice to have somebody spell out what you should be doing just as a reminder that your goals do matter. Yeah, absolutely. And they have mattered, right? We think about the person we were before kids. And my big thing is I don't want you to look back in 20 years, you know, you're right now, it feels really busy. But if you stay in that pattern and that habit of always kind of pushing your priorities to the bottom of the list, your kids are going to be graduating and you're going to look back and think, you know, what happened? What happened to that person that had all these big goals and these big dreams? Where did she go? So when we put daily intention to the things that we want and they're in the forefront of our mind and just take those little tiny steps, it really makes a mountain. Uh, achievement at the end of our life. And I really like one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, your kids are watching. Mm -hmm. So when you create that intention, your kids are, you're modeling what you want your kids to do is particularly, I think if you have daughters, I know for myself, that's important that uh, I'm modeling that for my daughters as well, so that they don't lose themselves when they go ahead and have children. Yeah, absolutely. And not just that, I think, you know, we tell our kids, you can do whatever you want. You're limitless, you're boundless, you know, think with your imagination, anything you set your mind to, you can have, but are we modeling that example for them? You know, are we living the life that we have designed or the life we think that we should have? So if every day we come home and we're drained from our job or we're giving to everybody else but ourselves, we're really just teaching our kids that that's what they can expect. That's what they should do with their time. And we want more for our kids. We want to show them that you can have it all, that anything you put intention behind, you can absolutely have, but we have to model for them, model that for them first. So tell me then about how uh, this planner works from sort of from the first time you crack open the book until, you know, you work through a year of it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's designed to walk you through what's called domino goals. So you take a really big vision for your life, something that you probably, you know, as a mom, you think is now impossible because of your schedules and, and kind of the overwhelm in your brain. You don't have much, I call it brain real estate. We don't have much real estate left in our brain. Um, but we take this really big vision of, you know, where do you want to be at retirement age or when you kind of look back on your life and we break that down. So we take that big vision and we talk about the feelings that you want to feel and how do you feel that in five years, what are the tasks that you would need to do to feel that five years from now, a year from now, in the quarter, in, in, in this month, in this day. So, you know, if you want to feel, for example, one thing that a lot of moms want to feel is they want to feel content. 
right? They want to feel like they have, you know, the security financially, they have security in their relationships, they feel really strong in their body. So what can you do today that over time would build up to give you that feeling that you want long term? So uh, we start with that. And then we go into daily intention. So there's a, a full 12 month undated day planner in here. Because a lot of moms would tell me, oh, I have like this kind of notebook and that kind of notebook, I want it in one notebook. So it's all in one notebook. But the most unique part about this planner is that there's coaching tools. So everybody has a reason why they kind of fall off track with their goals. So one of them is, you know, I don't have enough time, or I don't have the, the financial resources to do the things that I want. So there's a coaching tool in here for the top 10 reasons why people fall off track with their goals. And then I walk you through how to move past that feeling so that you can get on with it and get up because we are all going to have those periods of time when we don't feel like showing up for our goals. But the point of this planner and the point of coaching and any program that I have in my business is to just shorten that amount of time. So say you get stuck and overwhelmed for a week normally, well, can we shorten that to four days? And then can we shorten that to one day and then maybe 20 minutes? All right. So I love this. Then if people, they can jump in, obviously, I know we're past the new year, but you can jump in anytime. Why does it have to be January 1? So if they want to find this planner, where can they go? So my website is teamgoldchasers.com, where you can learn a little bit more about my services. And there's also a link to shops. You can purchase it there. Uh, And on Instagram, I'm the Gold Chasers. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Justine. This was great. Thank you so much, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 1077 Pulse FM. This one's for the girls. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.